Hello, and thank you for joining us for episode 10 of The Lord Check. I'm your host, Brandon Michael Terry, and with me again is my co-host, Devin. I stared into the darkness, and it stared back. Boyd. I cast Magic Missile at the darkness. It does nothing. Have you seen that YouTube video, though? I haven't. Oh, it's terrible. We should watch it. Hmm. Well, we will do that afterwards, I guess. I'm assuming our fans won't listen to us just listening to a, or watching a YouTube video. Nah, they won't do that. With Devin as well, though, is a friend of ours, Stephen Peewees. Stephen, how are you doing today? I'm alright. Are you going to add the fanfare and post? Uh, probably. Yay! Ba, 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 so Stephen really <laughs> likes introductions. Okay, so Stephen, uh, since you're new to the show, first time ever being on, ever, never recording this. You're like Bobby McFerrin. <laughs> <laughs> so Stephen, I have a couple questions. Kind of have to give you a chance to introduce yourself to the listeners. And so here, let's start with this. If you had the powers or skills to fight crime, whatever it is, yeah. would you be a tragic hero or an anti-hero? So to the listeners, tragic heroes are the kind of guys who... Stay by their views of justice, stay by what they want to fight for, even though they're doomed to fail. Anti-heroes are the kind of people who just kind of turn themselves into the darkness. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot to be enjoyed with both, but I tend to go for the tragic hero. Mm. Why so? Um, I don't know. It's just, you're just naturally hopeless and tragic person? Yeah, no, I like the idea of a character going somewhere. And I feel like a character dying for what they believe, that's like a fitting ending. That's a good goal. Very Joan of Arc yeah, yeah. Not just naturally who you are, you want to die for a good reason? Oh, no, but I do want to die one day. Okay, well, in that point, I do have another question for you. What do you think would be the best and worst way for you to die? <laughs> <laughs> then finds step really funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. Please keep it rolling. Yeah. I'm trying to get a paper towel. <laughs> While Devin goes in and cleans himself up from his love of Steven's death, he just threw up on the computer. So Steven, what you dust, what is your, what is the best and worst ways do you think you free to die? I mean, as a tragic hero would be sacrificing yourself mm-hmm. for the good of the group or just for the greater good. The greater good? Yeah. We have some experience in that. And what about worst? I mean, in a rolling, in a role-playing game would just be rolling a couple nat ones in a row just by dumb bad luck. We we talked about that before. Yeah, my friend. Uh, what about you, person? Not a role playing game. Just you as a person. What would be the way you would not want to die? Like me as a person? Yeah, you as a Stephen Perret. How'd you want to die? I would not want to die. Yeah. How would like, you want to die? Like as a person? How would I want to die? Yeah, I would. I wouldn't mind being blown up. <laughs> um, I wouldn't mind like something like quick, like not painless, like something just really. Fast and sudden, but something that does make a bit of a show. And like spontaneous combustion. Yeah, but if I could die shortly after. But shortly it's hot enough. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any way you definitely would not want to be killed? Uh, drowning. Because mm. that's like all the, that's like the horrible long out, or drawn out for a long time. It's painful. But like no one's seeing you. It's like, there's no glory in it. Mm. Good to know. Not that I'm not interested in how you're going to die, but it's yeah. good to know. What if the fishes saw you though? You get to sleep with those, so. <laughs> yeah, might as well meet him early. <laughs> okay, so last thing, let's if someone were to make a novel about your life, what lesson would they learn? Um what lesson. What le- what tragic lesson would they learn from your life? It's better not to try. Yeah, maybe. No, just like the sad, quiet boredom boredom 
and futility of life. Mm, just the sheer boredomness of life. Yeah, just just nothing going on. You not got nothing going for you. Just kind of man, that's real depressing. That's yeah, alright. Well, no, no, you you're living in the Big Apple right now. So I mean, most people that's where they want to be. Yeah, but even then, it's it's just a city. It's just a place. It's like everywhere else. What they say. If you make it there, you can die anywhere else. That's what I'm hoping on. Well, we're going to keep kind of going down the dark rabbit trail we've been going down since last episode of Horror. And we're going to discuss dark game. A quick caveat, this isn't necessarily an actual genre. There's no like, genre of dark. But in reality, if I'm being perfectly honest, the only reason why I forced Devin to do this episode was so I had more room to talk about World of Darkness games. Alright. Literally, the only reason why I'm having this as a, its own genre. Because we agreed last time, Devin, that World of Darkness really doesn't fit into the horror genre. Not really, no. Because you're not really powerless most of the times. Some games you are, but a lot of times you are the monster, or you're a tragic hero, or you're a mage trying to shape reality and things just keep working bad for you. You're not powerless like horror should make you feel. Right. So it has its own genre, but it's very dark, very cryptic. hopeless, cryptic. And also, anybody who's played World of Darkness games or read them understands why I want to give it its own episode. The games like Vampire the Masquerade, Werewolf the Apocalypse, Mage the Ascension, and the others... They're all great games that people love, and the genre and the setting is amazing. But, so we're going to talk about just games, or stories that are dark, that are tragic. Stories where, basically, the protagonist is forced to deal with a tragic and hopeless reality. Well, that's because they're a monster, or because just reality sucks. They have to deal with it. Sound like fun to you guys? Yeah, sounds like fun to me. Sound like fun to you, uh, Tevin? Well, I mean, I'm already here, so I can't leave. I mean, you really can't. Trust me, you're not going to leave here. Yeah, the door's been barricaded. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Just, just don't worry about that. Steven, don't worry about any of this, okay? Fine. Okay. So, let's begin with why we love dark stories. Just dark stories in general. Steven, any ideas like why people enjoy tragic dark stories? There's a lot of them out there. You watch a lot of depressing movies. Yeah. Why do you watch them? I always appreciate the full range of human emotions. Mm. Like, I feel like I like dark stories because there's always an element of truth to it. Life's not all sunshine and ice cream. Yeah, I think that's part of like why we do these tragedy games, because at the end of the day, the good guy doesn't always win. Yeah. Like, a lot of times, fantasy, for the most part, unless you get to the dark fantasy version of it, it's usually big good versus big evil, and the good usually wins in the end. Yeah. And there are some games where, especially the World Giants games, you can know the good guy's not going to win. Like, it's going to end badly. But basically, doomed is kind of the kind of way for tragedy, because like, you're doomed to fail. But the weird thing about it is it doesn't make it necessarily bad, Devin, what do you think? I think that I think that the the mystery element of it mm. is fun. Um, even in Vampires of the Masquerade, it says it there. There is a masquerade. The vampires are trying to cloak and shroud themselves from reality. In Werewolves of the Apocalypse, you are trying to not be noticed. Like you're you are this monster, and there's this beast within that's trying to come out. Sometimes that's good, sometimes bad. Um, but there's a mystery element involved to it, and I think that's fun to explore it and uh, dig a little bit deeper into that. Good, yeah, there's this weird, like, darkness, like, kind of hidden, and see that there. I was thinking that sometimes this weird darkness can make things a little more beautiful. The gothic genre of literature, that is kind of dark. Things like Bram Stoker, which is vampires, Frankenstein, Mary Shelley stuff, people around them. There's really dark, very ambient, just tragedy around it, but the scenery that happens in there is so beautiful. Even in Stephen's movies that are so... <sighs> depressing that I want to go sit in a tub and cry at. A lot of like, the artistry is beautiful in those. Yeah. And I think that's part of like the weirdness that kind of shows in the darkness that you tell some beautiful stories despite being doomed. It gives you a greater appreciation. I think it still it forces you to first confront the bad thing. So a lot of people accuse role-playing games and literature in general of escapism. They are running away from the truth. But in dark genres 
can't really say it's when you're running away from the darkness of life. You watch a dark and tragic movie. Yeah. And that's why I think there's a, there's a case to be made for dark works of fiction as more exploration yeah. of life as it is rather than trying to escape life. Yeah, you, you're shoving people's nose into the, the darkness like you do with a dog when it pees on the carpet. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what dark what, what these games are. That's what I do with is when I GM Vampire the Masquerade. Or that one time I did, and you guys wouldn't let me keep going. Or that one time I GM'd... I was down that, for it. I was down for it. That one time I GM'd a werewolf game, you guys wouldn't let me keep going. Yeah. It was me and Anthony that made characters, right? We yeah. That one session. Yeah. I mean, I'm not bitter about it at all. I just have yet to forgive you guys for not like GM more of those games. I, I created a... A bruja. You did create a bruja, but then no one ever, no one ever wanted to play it, and I cried in a tub. Like I was watching one of Steven's movies. I wanted to. My vampire was so handsome. <laughs> <laughs> in these things, though, you do have to shove people's face into the darkness of the world. That either either we're hopeless because we killed the world already, or we're all actually monsters on the inside, or no one really loves you. They're all just using you. Whatever it is, it's really dark. And why do people love a good tragic ending, though, Steven? Good tragic ending. Yeah, ending to a, a game or a movie. You, you said you, you kind of like it a little when things don't turn out well. Yeah, I think there's there's always a certain amount of authenticity to it. Mm. That to experience uh, an ending that has lost a grief or just some type of incompleteness that things didn't go the way they should. Mm. Like that matches up with my experience of life, where like there's a lot of wonderful things that we all experience, and there's a lot of terrible experiences. Yeah. Um, and the stories that we tell and that we listen to ought to reflect all of them. Mm. Then what do you think? I think that it, it, it allows us to to see that nothing's that mm. failure is very tangible and it's a possibility. Um, and it, it does push an element of realism into not only the story that's being woven while you're playing mm. it, but it also pushes an element of realism into, as we've been saying this whole time, um, an element that's very intrinsic to existence. Mm -hmm. That there is going to be sorrow, there's going to be hurt. Mm -hmm. You know, there there is going to be darkness um, in one way or another. Yeah, I think so. I would call it the yeah, I get that, or I kind of get that. When you like, you look at the hero and like they're struggling with something, or things just fail for them, you kind of yeah, I kind of get that. Especially if you're a mopey kind of person, like some of my friends might be, <laughs> just nice mopey boys. Because you get to you, you get to uh, relate a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. You, you get it. And it's like. In World of Darkness in particular, you have these struggles that they get. So vampires have a struggle of, am I am I really fully human? Am I struggling to lose my identity? Werewolves have a struggle with trying to save a world that's already doomed to failure. Changelings have what I think was the most tragic one where they know they're doomed to go from these happy, wonderful creatures into these boring, mundane humans someday. And they're doomed to find that destiny. And they're just trying to not lose it as long as possible. And like, yeah, I mean, we all have to think. We all struggle with identity. We all struggle with, I want to fix the world, but it's not going to happen. And we struggle with being a boring adult. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not boring, but I'm not an adult either. I, I, I'm very, very boring. Yeah, because you got married. And I um, I do taxes. I eat cornflakes. Steve, what do you think? Is there any other experiences you think dark genres really bring out? Things we can relate to in the dark genre world? Yeah, I think... I mean, I just not know a reason. Another reason why I think we like them is like kind of what you were talking mm -hmm. about. We're able to relate to them. Yeah. Because then if a character or you know, if you're playing it as someone who has is doomed to a certain destiny, I feel like we all as humans feel that. We all know that we're going to die one day. And we have different answers for what that means, but we all have to face it in some mm -hmm. way. Yeah. You know, we get a lot of life to, to use and to enjoy until then. But it's always going to be there. It's yeah. always going to get us in the end. Yeah. Maybe I mean, sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, at some point, we're all going to die. And you're right, some, some of us will be sooner than later, but we all have to deal with it's coming. 
So is that kind of like a thing in the... I haven't played very much World of Darkness, but is that a thing in World of Darkness that every character you make note... Because I remember when I made the vampire, mm -hmm. you can actually choose a drawback, mm -hmm. which was a uh, gruesome fate. Dark fate. Dark fate, mm -hmm. where you will die a horrible, horrible end. You don't mm -hmm. know when, but it's going to happen. Yeah, so there, there actually is some level to that. So Vampire's Grave is by itself tragic because you've already lost your soul. You're struggling against a beast that's trying to take your identity from you. And not every not everybody goes out the same way. Some die, you know, heroically or dark heroes. Most vampires are villains, but some die that way. Some of them, though, know that at the end of the day, the elders are going to arise and kill everything. <laughs> What's called Gehenna, which is the Hebrew word for hell. Hell on earth is going to come, and the world's going to be destroyed. They all know it's going to happen. In Werewolf, they know eventually the worm's going to win, and the whole world's going to be destroyed. Changeling, they know eventually all of us are going to be lose all of our glamour and wonder in the world. There's always that ending that everybody knows it's going to end badly. It sounds very Cthulhu-esque. I know we yeah. use Cthulhu mm -hmm. in the horror yeah. genre. Cthulhu's a very dark game. It's very for tragic heroes. Because Cthulhu, in the rule book, I think it mentions the story of the little Danish boy in the dam. You know that story? Uh, uh, where he keeps plugging the different holes in a new hole of ears. Yep, and he's putting another finger in there. But as he's doing it, somebody's chewing away at his fingers as well. So he's, he's dying, he's suffering, he's trying to stop the dam from breaking, but he knows eventually it's going to break. He's gonna die. Everyone he's trying to protect is gonna die. Yeah, that, these games are like that. And but there's still some people like, but you still feel the need to keep fighting, nonetheless. And you tell these beautiful stories of people who refuse to accept their destiny. You know, it seems right. We're all gonna die someday, but we still make life worth it somehow. We all find a way to make life still valuable, still beautiful. Life finds a way. Yeah, life finds a way. And to make another really cheesy quote right now, and I'm going cheesy. It's the whole light shines brightest in the dark. I get it. It's overused. It's really cheesy. Where's that from? I don't know. But everyone says it. Uh, do you know where it's from? No. Wait, is it? No, I don't know. The Brave Little Toaster? Yep, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was it. No, <laughs> no, it's Lord of the Rings, right? I when when uh, Gladriel gives Frodo the little thing. She doesn't say it quite like that, but it's a play on that, I think. Cool. I, I, I would know. Tolkien reference right there, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the other way around, actually. It's a Brave Little Toaster reference in Tolkien. No, I think Stephen's on to something. Interesting. So, but what I mean is, in these dark these dark games, where I think it's tragic and terrible, there's some things that make life good and beautiful. Even in these dark, depressing movies, these dark genres, there's always something of beauty that's there. Yeah. Whether it be love, whether it be brotherhood, whether it be just finding self-expression, whatever it is, people try and find something in life that's still beautiful. Well, and then you hold on yeah. to that, and yeah. that's what makes it worth fighting for. Yeah, and becomes you can appreciate it more. Yeah. Because everything that's terrible... That one thing that's not terrible, you actually see why, be why it's so beautiful. Like, um, maybe think of Beauty and the Beast. Mm -hmm. How Beast is sequestered away in this mansion, um, and the and most everything is dingy and dark and, and mm -hmm. ugly, uh, including himself. But mm -hmm. he has his beautiful rose, like the only representation of beauty. But even the rose is a representation for his imminent doom that he will always remain a beast. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I know I was I'm not super well versed in vampires and masquerade, but I yeah. was always fascinated by the Nosferatu yeah class or Nosferatu. You're right, but yeah. the plan. Yeah, the clan. Mm -hmm. Because they're horribly disfigured. Um, I mean, you know more about it than I do. Yeah. Like, what was their strong suit? Just the fact that they, because they're pushed to the darkness and to the fringes of even vampire society. Yeah, even the other vampires hate them. So yeah. pushed into, they're pushed into the bottom. But they, they actually do find this brotherhood amongst themselves. Yeah. Because everyone else hates them, they end up being community with each other. They made the most close-knit clan out of any of them. Right. And they find that. Uh, they're, they're the information brokers, they're sneaky and sneaky. But they have that one beautiful thing of, like, we have each other. Even when the vampire world splits in half the two main factions of the Sabbath and the Camarilla, the Nosferatu ones still say, like, I don't care about that. We're still Nosferatu. We're together. Yeah. 
and that's something beautiful. And whatever beautiful in this tragic world stands out, and I think I put this down as it stands out like a vegan hippie at an NRA convention. <laughs> you just see it. It's right there in front of your face. Yeah. Word. In these games, Vampire Massacre has Brotherhood. Werewolf Apocalypse, you have these courageous, heroic, spiritual warriors. And you can really appreciate their courage and honor because the world's so dark. In Changeling, because these creatures are so kind of art and creation and beauty, you find like, oh yeah, that is important. Because I think when things are challenged and everything's terrible, you finally notice the few good things in life. When everything's kind of like just a dull gray that we normally live in, nothing really looks that beautiful. Right, yeah. That's helpful. Let's shift it over into talking about games in general. So why do you think people would enjoy playing dark games like Vampire the Masquerade or Cthulhu even? Why do they enjoy games where they know they're going to lose in the end? Because I think they still get the satisfaction of knowing that even though they, they're trying to fight this darkness or this force or they're trying to prevent, you know, X, Y, and Z from happening, there's still this sense of accomplishment they, they achieve knowing that I, I may be prolonging the end, but at least I'm pushing it back a little bit further. Mm. Dude. I've always really enjoyed the sense of defiance that I got mm. by playing with Cthulhu. It's like, yes, I'm just this weak human in the face of like just unimaginably powerful beings, but like still like I'm gonna shake my fist in the air and just like I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight. It's gonna kill me, but I'm gonna fight. So, so there is this thing called the myth of Sisyphus. Uh, it's an ancient myth where this guy, because he insulted the gods, the rest of eternity, he has to push a boulder up a hill. Mm. When he gets to the top, it goes down to the bottom. And that's his eternity. And a guy named Albert Camus writes about this experience and says, so he has to do it one way or another. So there's two options. Either he can let himself be broken and suffer the fate that he has, or he can keep pushing up the hill, shake his fist to the gods and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to find meaning in this every single time. Yes. I think that's part of what we do in these tragic games. Like, yeah, it's going to end, but screw it. I'm going to make my own story out of this. Yeah. Screw it. I'm going to go out a hero. Yeah, like this is like a terrible or meaningless is awful event, but like, so I'm going to extract what value and purpose I can out of it. Yeah. It's very existential in a way. Yeah, yeah it is completely existential. I and mean, I think as a GM who plays it, like, I enjoy making my character just go through that process of, you know I'm going to beat you in the end, but fight me to the last second. Let's mm-hmm. have that fun. Let's have that challenge. I'm going to win. I'm going to, like, make your eyes miserable. I'm going to kill you. But at least have fun with it. Enjoy it. And the horror game said that the more scared you can make your party... The more powerless, the better you're off. In this game, the more depressed you can make your characters as they're fighting, the more fun they'll have in the end. Yeah, really remind them about how hopeless the world is. The, yeah. the state in which um, everything's broken and beaten down and dilapidated. If you can, if you can find ways to encourage that, then you know you give them a real feel for what's happening, at least on the table. Yeah. And maybe once they're more immersed, they'll be inspired to fight back against it. Yeah, you have the chance to just tell these darkly beautiful stories yourself as you will play games. That you have the experience, you have the the, the lessons you learn in life through the faith, having to deal with the darkness, the grittiness of the world. Instead of having to shove your nose in a book to do it, you have your character actually live it out, to suffer through it. You kind of have that experience yourself. And it grows you a little bit. It's a lot of fun that way. It also can let you get a little dark yourself. Now, we mentioned it before, sometimes you just need to blow off some steam. Sometimes you just need to be a bad person. What was the word you used so many weeks ago? Murder hobo? Murder hobo, yes. So murder hobos in a lot of role-playing games are the guys who simply want to go around killing everything they can to kind of blow off the steam in real life. Being like munchkins. Yeah, they're munchkins, hobos, all these people. They, they care about power and killing everything in front of them. I played with some players who've had some very murder hobo moments. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're going to be in a dark setting and you got to blow off steam, yeah. what better way? Yeah, so sometimes with Vampire Masquerade, you make yourselves really villainous vampires... And you just go to town on some innocent human beings. Or you become werewolves and you just go to town on the corrupt wormlings that are flying around or pretend to be human beings. You just slaughter everything. Once you do that, it get dark and feel, not feel bad about it. Yeah. Because 
I've tried running an evil campaign for Pathfinder, and there are some good ones. But it quickly went off the rail. Because I think dark games require a narrative to make them mean something. If you just tell your players, be as evil as you want, they do some terrible things. I still can't look some of those people in the eyes after GMing for them. You're looking me in the eye. I said some of them, Devin. <laughs> some of them I cannot look in the eye after the stuff they did in that game. Because they had no narrative to kind of structure what they were doing. So also eventually it just gets like, it gets boring because it's like, well, I do this and it happens. And But sometimes being able to do dark things inside a story, it gets more sort of meaningful, allows you to blow up the steam, but it keeps some structure to it. Yeah, And I think that's why what you were saying earlier about being able to use a dark setting to highlight the beautiful aspects in life, the few good things you have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's true because like the case with the evil campaign, there really wasn't any of that. Um, there wasn't. A unifying, cohesive story behind it, too. So, like, yes, this is, this is a dark party. Like, they're all evil, but they're just being evil for evil's sake, and it quickly became flat and uninteresting. Yeah. Sorry. I've learned my lesson, though. In these stories, death is it's one of the few games where dying is not necessarily disappointing, because you knew it was going to happen anyways. You knew your character was going to fight the big one in a tragic way. So it's, it's one of the few stories you can tell and have a character, and you die, and you're like, that was awesome. Death is awesome. For this, not, not always. You get to be a little morbid about it and say, like, that was a huge catharsis moment for me. A character died in such a great way, or the story finally reached its conclusion. In Pathfinder, you don't want your d- character to die as much as possible. Most games, you want them to live as long as possible. You can get, keep getting stronger, gain more skills, gain more levels. In this game, that just might be part of the story, and you can enjoy the death of your characters. Yeah. Let's wrap into our last section, advice for GMs and players. So, as a GM, as a player, what do you think they things they can do to make sure they maintain this dark, gothic feel to their games? Um, Steven, or Devin, you want to go first? Oh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. No. Devin, you're first. All right. Let our think... guests go last. Fair enough. I like it. I think, um, I think for this, it really comes to narrative. When you're reading off descriptions, when you're trying to explain what people are seeing, what the players around the table are walking into, really get creative with your wordplay. Find ways to vividly um, and almost hopelessly describe the setting in such a depressing way that when they look at it, like they feel something. You know, like you're painting a picture with your words, so make it one that while you're speaking the paint under the canvas, which is the table, make it so that when they see it, they feel lightly broken and disturbed or moved. Uh, whether they want to embrace it or do something about it, that's up to them, but that would be my advice. Steven? Yeah. I know my advice to players would just be really thinking through character motivations, particularly mm-hmm. if you're playing an evil or dark character. Mm-hmm. Because like you were saying earlier, I've played with a lot of characters that just seem to be being evil for evil's sake. Mm-hmm. Which is fun for like maybe one session, mm-hmm. but then afterwards it's just it's just boring. Yeah. It's just uninteresting. It's like being an evil character is fine as long as there's proper motivations for it. Yeah. Um, and that I think if you can develop a character that is realistically evil. Like, I'm going to go off Star Wars, but, mm-hmm. like, the Emperor is just kind of... He loves being evil just because that's what he is. Which made the third movie... The only redeeming part of the third movie... I've already said that, I'm going to say it again. only good thing about the third movie was how crazy the Emperor was. <laughs> Alright. Um, <laughs> but, uh, like, the... It's just, in my experience, so much more fun to have an evil character that does hold to some type of beauty in the world that does have something in them that it could be considered conventionally good. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to play with that and have fun with that dynamic. 
So to speak into that real quick, I actually uh, uh, I was spurred on um, through a, uh, a post I saw by Accidental Critical on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should follow them; they have some good memes. And one was of a necromancer saying that he raises the corpse of a king no different than a peasant, and it got me thinking that that could be a cool character concept behind a necromancer that you see the world is broken, and so as far as you're aware, the only way to kind of restore balance and equality mm-hmm. in the world is to kill everyone and bring them back so everybody is equal again mm. like that yeah. that would just be an interesting kind of twisted way to to seek out that that justice that that conviction that you hold to like it's motivated yeah. from a good place their means just may not be that good yeah they see the destruction of the world as the only way to bring about true equality mm-hmm. i like that yeah. Yeah, no, that, that is great. Like, great points. Like, having good motivations, realistic evils. And like, no one thinks they're a villain. Like, no one thinks they're the bad guy. So why have a character who just thinks he who enjoys being evil for the sake of being evil? So I think, though, that's pretty much the last point we're going to have for tonight, is just really embracing those motivations. I think we're going to go ahead and wrap up here. The next episode, we're going to be covering the post-apocalyptic genre. It's the end of the world as we know it. We're going to have fun with it. Devin, any final words of wisdom? Just one. Remember that the night is dark and full of terrors. And be careful who you trust, because you could be making a grave error. Mm. Steven, are you, you okay? Yeah. yeah, but Steven, you don't you don't look so good. No. No, you, you're, you're a little uh, little green there, man. Uh, you drink that uh, the thing I gave you? Yeah, the thing that was in, like, the little spray bottle. What did it say? Uh, yeah, that wasn't a liquid. It's in a spray bottle, Steven. Well, yeah, but I took the, the top off. See, I'm pretty sure that was, like, floor cleaner. <coughs> well, why'd you put a glass of ice next to it if I wasn't meant to drink it? I I, I didn't. <coughs> that was dry ice, Steven. Steven How do you live this long? No, Steven, your skin is blistering. Steven? <coughs> Steven? I'm excited. So, I'm not going to say we killed Steven there. But Steven is dead. And we are to blame. But I'm sure it'll work out somehow. Either way, great time. Thanks for joining us on The Lore Check. <laughs>